0: everybody. And welcome to the inaugural episode of This Week from Health Affairs. I'm Rob
1: Lott. And I'm Jessica Bylander. We're excited to share with you the very first of what will be a weekly conversation with the editors of Health Affairs.
0: Here's how it's going to work. As the name of the show suggests every week, two of us editors will get on the line and have a chat. That's it. We're going to talk about whatever's happening in health policy that week. We'll keep it short and quick. Hopefully it will be fun and interesting too.
1: And we'll probably find some health affairs content to mention along the way.
0: <laughs> that's that's right. So uh, why don't we dive in? Uh, Jess, we had talked about um, uh, discussing vaccines and uh, did you know that I actually got to talk through some of my thoughts on that topic with someone uh, someone else the other day?
1: Oh yeah, who's that?
0: Yeah, my five-year-old daughter. As you might expect, uh, her understanding of COVID-19 is pretty basic. She knows it makes people sick, it's dangerous, and we have to protect everyone um, by wearing masks, keeping distance,
1: washing our hands. And how is she handling all that?
0: She's pretty pretty good about all those things for a five-year-old. Occasionally, though, she asks when COVID will go away and it's incredibly cute and completely heartbreaking. Um, But when she asked me again the other day, um, I was actually a little more specific than I've been in the past. I said, it will end and it will probably be next spring or summer. It was the first time I felt like I could be kind of specific in my answer and it felt good.
1: That's so cute. My son, meanwhile, is 17 months, and I think he just thinks masks are part of our face. Um, But it's going to be really exciting when we can go more places with him, too. Yeah, I can't
0: wait. Um, Of course, ever curious, my daughter then asked me how COVID was going to go away, and that's when I struggled to explain um, to my five-year-old how vaccines are developed. She was Pretty excited about the part involving microscopes. uh, Less excited about the part where everyone gets a shot. But uh, who knows? Maybe I have the world's next Anthony Fauci under my own roof.
1: Oh, to be so lucky. Um, I've definitely learned a lot more about vaccine development in the past few months than I thought I needed to know, maybe than I want to know. But um, actually just recently edited our health affairs paper by Aaron Kesselheim and colleagues that. Talks about just an overview of how vaccines are regulated, how you know we assess their safety after they're approved, um, and you know one thing that struck me is that um, usually it takes a long time to develop vaccines. I think the median over the past 14 years was about 18 months, um, and while you know the COVID-19 vaccines seem to be you know moving along a lot quicker, um, and those trials have only been underway since the summer
0: yeah, it's impressive how quickly they've moved. Um, so where do things stand right now? Are we close?
1: Yeah, so right now there's no vaccine that's um you know fDA approved or authorized um, for use in the u s, but there are like five vaccines in pivotal trials, which is like the the last stage of um medical product development. You know, you have your initial trials um and then you move to the final pivotal trial stage. So um, I think the two furthest along are the one from Pfizer and BioNTech and then also Moderna. So both of those seem to be extremely effective, like, you know, 94, 95% effective. And I think, I think FDA, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I think FDA was going to be satisfied with about 50% effective. So they're looking really good. Um, And so right now... The trials are ongoing. They are going to last like, you know, the normal, like two years or whatever, but um, the companies right now are just trying to get um, emergency use authorization from FDA.
0: So what I've heard that, you know, bandied about a lot and it seems like kind of a big deal, but what is involved in emergency use authorization?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's important to know the trials aren't over they're, you know, they're not going to end them after a few months. They're going to keep going and keep collecting data. Um, and it's not that these vaccines are getting approved this quickly, but emergency use authorization allows FDA to say you can use an unapproved product um, in the event of an emergency. And obviously, COVID nineteen pandemic counts as that kind of an emergency. So that's that's how people will start getting the vaccine. I think initially is um, in this kind of unapproved form, but the clinical trials data. Is very promising. Um, it's just that the trials aren't over yet. Um, so actually, um, I just read this morning that the UK has given emergency use authorization to Pfizer's vaccine. So they're, I think, the first the first country to have that. Um, and then in the US, we have a couple advisory committees coming up to um, to decide whether to approve emergency use of Pfizer and Moderna's um, vaccines for COVID.
0: Nice. So, and then at the same time, just the other day, I think it was on Tuesday, we had a meeting of ASIP.
1: Yeah. Um, What's remind me what that stands for?
0: (laughs) So, this is CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, which is an independent board of experts who help shape federal immunization guidance. Um, And uh, they've been around for, I think, 50 years, but uh, most recently they've been asked to help prioritize who should get a working COVID vaccine first.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's so important. You know, everyone kind of wants access to this vaccine, right, as soon as possible, or hypothetically they do. So like, who did they decide would get it first?
0: Yeah. On Tuesday's meeting, they took a vote and they decided to recommend that um, the first people to get it should be healthcare personnel and residents of long-term care facilities and skilled nursing facilities. Um, And so there was some debate and negotiation about who should be in phase one and, uh, or rather phase 1A versus phase 1B and so on. But there is general consensus, I think, that people on the front lines and the people who are most vulnerable should be getting this first. Um, So it's pretty straightforward. Um, What's more interesting to me is that um, while this felt like a really big definitive decision, and I think people who are not used to following CDC advisory board meetings were like streaming the proceedings online. It it, it suddenly became a very big deal. Uh, And it's certainly like a signal that this is really happening. We're here. Um, But it's actually more like step one of what will be a 9,432 step process, right, in terms of implementing vaccines. And so um it's also important to remember that acip is a federal entity but the people who are um, going to be following their guidance are working at the state level
1: um, yeah. yeah and it's guidance right it's not like what acip says is binding or or that like nationally everyone's going to start you know giving healthcare workers vaccines in the same on the same day in the same way because acip recommended it
0: exactly yeah so it, it really is um, it, it illuminates kind of the divide between the federal role and the state role. So, um, even though this is kind of national guidance, there are going to be 50 States, the district of Columbia, the territories, each one of them is responsible for translating those recommendations into action. And each one is going to be doing things a little differently, like you said. And, um, each of those variations is going to have an impact on just how effective the vaccine is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I was listening to Alan's health policy recently. I think it was like from last week and, um, the guest said a vaccine 0% effective if, if no one gets it. So that's important to know, like, it, you know, the data is great, but if no one, um, uh, decides to get the vaccine, then, then we won't achieve the herd immunity that we need.
0: Yeah. That's actually one of the, um, key lessons from a, another recent paper that we published in that same cluster of vaccine papers uh, ahead of print by David Paul Teal and Jason Schwartz and co authors. So they ran a model to estimate the benefits of a vaccine. And they plugged in a bunch of different as- assumptions and compared um, each of those different sort of simulations. And they didn't only look at different levels of vaccine efficacy, or its impact on disease transmission or progression. They also looked at other factors like how fast is the vaccine manufactured and how broadly uh, the vaccine is taken up by the population, which is obviously a huge factor.
1: Yeah, and so what did they find was um, kind of the most important factor, I guess?
0: It's funny, they weren't able to sort of pinpoint one individual factor saying like, this is the thing we've got to do, but they did really underscore the fact that the benefits of a vaccine are really gonna depend uh, at least as much on how it's implemented as it will on the vaccine's clinical and physiological properties as shown in clinical trials.
1: So it's a huge
0: deal how it's implemented.
1: Yeah. And I know vaccine hesitancy is a huge issue. I mean, even like um, with a toddler deciding on daycare, um, you know, I I know that for childcare and schools, certain vaccines are required, but you can, you know, be exempt. And so, um, so I know that, you know, not everyone um, feels comfortable with vaccination. Um, Obviously, I, I think it's really important and serves like such a important public health role and everyone should get recommended vaccines. But, um, yeah, I, I think, I think that's going to be a challenge with the COVID-19 vaccine specifically because, you know, it has become kind of politicized and, and I, you know, the fact that emergency use authorization does mean like it's not actually approved yet. I know, I'm sure that's going to be challenging for messaging and, and everything. And, um, and another issue I know is sort of like trust in healthcare systems, um, but well, just one, you know, one conversation that comes up a lot is, you know, getting prior to prioritizing um, vaccination among the black community, which has been really hard hit by COVID-19. And um, so it's, it is really important to prioritize them. But I think, um, I think it brings up some really challenging concepts about sort of, um, you know, you don't want people to, to feel like they're being targeted by an unapproved vaccine. So you don't want to make people feel like guinea pigs. So I think it's gonna be really important how we how we phrase things and, um, you know, I think a lot about a blog we published recently by Rhea Boyd and colleagues that kind of, um, it it took aim at this issue of mistrust in healthcare among the Black community and how much we focus on lack of trust. I, I think it's very much true that there that there is a lack of trust because of the actions of um, the healthcare system. But you know, you just don't want to put the blame on people. So it's like your lack of trust is why you're not. It's you know seeking the healthcare you need or receiving vaccines. So I think we just need to be super careful of how we message everything and and how we just make it seem like. Um, it's a good thing to get vaccinated and it will help us get out of the house and get back to life as normal. So that's, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the coming months.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's interesting. We've, we've talked for a while since this pandemic began about the disproportionate impact um, on people of color and um, vulnerable communities. And it's interesting, this sort of vaccine, distribution and allocation issue is sort of a a super concentrated version of that conversation and really sort of forces us to come to terms with some of those issues that you're raising about trust and equitable um, distribution of the of the vaccine. And so um, this is the this is the moment for us to really confront those issues. And it will be interesting to see how it unfolds in the next couple of weeks.
1: Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Thanks for listening to This Week from Health Affairs. Hope you subscribe. See you next week. Thanks, Jess.